Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. <laughs> I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Mr. Alan Gelman. Today's topic, Behind Closed Doors. A coach talks about the things CMOs discuss in private. Now, Alan is the former CMO of Insurance Incredible, who decided to become a full-time coach four years ago. He runs Convivo Leadership, a coaching organization he founded. He is currently coaching 15 leaders and has coached over 150 since starting the business. Full disclosure, we have known each other for a number of years as our paths crossed at marketing events, and we are CMO coaches and CMO bootcamp instructors together. Welcome, Alan. Thanks for having me. Excited, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, well, we'll have a good time. So, Alan, give us a quick overview of the dominant themes you're hearing from CMOs today. You know, I mean, and not the business themes, the deep themes that you know talking about behind closed doors. And just for perspective, I've asked Alan for purposes of this show to focus on the leadership development front versus any of the technical skills. So take it away, Alan. What are you hearing? Dominant themes. Yeah, there's a number of uh, topics that come up all the time with my clients, CMOs, as well as others in the C-suite. Um, and it's around building influence and relationships in that C-suite and with the peers and with the board is a major one related to that navigating challenging relationships. We all have them, whether it's up, down, across. Balancing, driving, and empowering. So how much do you drive as a leader and how much do you empower people? And we each lean different ways. Sometimes it's about spreading your wings. You've grown into the CMO role for the first time. And what does it look like to spread your wings? It's the what got you here won't get you there thing. What gets in your way and why? And then the last one that's super interesting is being too human or not human enough. It's like, how are you showing up? How much do you care? Do you care too much, too little? And do the people who work with you around you know that? Hey, I, I want to drill down on a couple of these, but I just want to make sure I'm fully understanding and our listeners are fully understanding. When you say too human versus not human enough, what is the perfect middle ground between that human, non-human thing or robot? Yeah, and there isn't a perfect middle ground. You might not be surprised to hear me say, but it's really um, how do you hold that your what people care about are the relationships around them. You know, you don't work for companies; you work for people. You work with people, and so how are you showing up with your humanity, but also not forgetting that you're there to get work done together? And that's how do you balance both and hold? I care about you and the work we're doing and how are we gonna get there, whether it's guiding direct reports, whether it's working with a boss, recognizing where your boss might be having fear and why they're showing up the way they are. We can get to that more later too. We will. It's bringing that humanity into all the interactions, not being afraid of emotion, 
and because we all feel it and everyone's connecting with it, but don't let it get in the way of being productive and effective. Also, super hard when you have to restructure a team or make those painful cuts that a lot of people have had to make in the last year in particular. So Yeah, I, I just had, I was just meeting with a client who's an SVP in an organization that just did a riff. And she's actually someone who comes at her leadership. She's a great leader. She comes at it from a place of deep heart and caring. And she said something to me in our conversation the other day that was really striking because she's like, we really have to move on. We're so stuck in everyone's, we're trying to hold everybody, those who are leaving, those who are staying, that we're forgetting that we actually have some real work to get done. And I love that she said that because she could be in a place of staying too much in the emotion. If she were a different client coming at it from, we got to get over it, folks, we got to get work done, I'd be, would have coached her the exact opposite way. She was doing a great job of holding both, recognizing and holding the feelings and saying, we got work to do here, people. Thanks for that. Let's, um, let's flip this over. Almost every CMO that you and I know and that I, I've known as well has had some version of imposter syndrome at yeah. some time. Let's talk about that syndrome and, and how to manage it. Yeah, so it is, it's nearly every CMO, it's nearly every CEO too, by the way, over two thirds is what the data shows of CEOs and other senior leaders have imposter syndrome. And so a, a first point around it is it's right to ask how to manage it versus pretend you can get rid of it. You can't. You can't. There's also, you can't. It's there. It's part of you. And it's okay that it's part of you. Well, it's um, probably made you. A, it's one of the things that drove you there because you didn't take anything for granted. Yeah, you it's a great time. You always had to prove That's that right. you were worthy. And then suddenly you get the job and then you think, oh, my gosh, I have so much more to prove. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I'll, I'll I'll give you an example of a story of a client. Um, she was Ella. She's you know CMO of a major national healthcare company that your listeners would know. She was elevated to an interim role, um, and there was a really early fiasco. Someone blew a launch that predated her her deeper involvement, but the blame still went to her. She was in the job, and she was sure she'd be fired. She felt it was unfair, but she also felt like yeah, maybe I'm not ready for this. It's a too big and complex a job, she dove in, she turned it around, she accepted responsibility, even, you know, she thought about, well, what could I have done differently? What could I have been better at, quicker at? She leaned into courage in the face of her uncertainty, and that built her reputation. She got the full-time CMO job where she's been really successful. So part of it is be explicit about where accountability lies. Is it with you or is it somewhere else? Where are you taking responsibility that's actually not yours? And where or where maybe you have a bias to blame others? We each have a bias. Sometimes it's, you know, if something goes wrong, do I look inward and say, it's always my fault? I'm going to start with me. Or do I look outward, look at others and say, no, it's their fault. And I can't believe they did that to me. Consider both because it's both are true. Your responsibility, others' responsibility. The other thing that can be really interesting is tap that inner critic that imposter syndrome to strengthen your story. There's something going south or may go south. Poke holes in it. Tell me about the inner critic. Up. Like, what does yeah. the inner critic sit? What does the inner critic look like? What does the inner critic do to you? Like, yeah. show me, tell me how the inner critic shows up. Yeah. It's like you're, it's, it's the imposter syndrome. It's the, it's a part of the same coin. The inner critic is saying, you know, Alan, you're, you're not good enough. You don't have this. 
you're you know you're you're not grasping these concepts fast enough or you don't you're not navigating these politics well enough judging self we all have the judge judge allen judge mike we all have the judge sometimes it's more of ourselves the inner critic sometimes it's more about judge judy just because okay say that again not going to say judge judy just because yeah yeah we're definitely no not well she may have one too we'll leave her alone um but that, that inner critic sits on our shoulder that judge of ourselves or others sits in our shoulder and recognizing it and saying, okay, I'm going to use you to my I, I, I will tell you, how I've used my inner critic on that. And I think that's a, that's a really good thing is I always, when I look at the problem, I think how much of this problem could I own if I tried to own all of it, even if I didn't create it. And then I can work back from there, but then I can be a lot more forgiving on what other people did for me or to me, presumably. And yeah. I can just say, okay, I can be a lot more forgiving because a lot of times you can say, well, I can own at least a lot of this. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, Mike, is I bet there are listeners out there listening to us having this conversation thinking, wow, I wish I thought the way Mike did. I wish I blamed others first. I don't. It's mine. I did it. It's my fault. So yeah. that's a, you You and I probably share in a starting with an other orientation. Well, I start, I start with how much of this can I own and then how much of this happened here okay how much of this was out of my control but i will try and own it all to start and then at that when i get to the margins then i can then i can move it around i i think it's really bad particularly in the cmo suite where everyone's watching your stuff to to ever start by blaming anybody else i mean you you own it and sooner or later if you're doing especially if you're running a big marketing department something will go south you yeah. want that team to own it right away. 100%. I totally agree with you. More of my my point is partly is your starting point. Some people's starting point is, of course, of course I own it all. Yeah. Because, and that's not healthy either. How? Where can I think about what is mine and where are is other in that? And how can I work with that? Right. You don't have to. Just, yes, I, I think that's fair. Let's Let's move on. You mentioned influence. Yeah, influence depending, you know, all, all CMO jobs I will maintain are is the least consistently structured and managed yeah. C job in the executive suite. Agreed. Influence is really a challenge, particularly in companies where marketing isn't viewed as one of the pillars of the company. Yeah. Um, what are you hearing on this front? And and then we can go give us your pithy tips after we hear what you're hearing. Yeah, well, it's, there's no question. Uh, what I'm here is that there's there's no such thing as one definition of a CMO job. We don't even have one title, right? Yeah. It's it's all over the map. Yeah, you know, where's experience fit? Where's product fit? Where's revenue fit? Where's integration fit? Where's anything? There's yeah. so many pieces and parts, and yet it's easy to point the finger. It's easy to um, say, well, you're not doing your job or we know how to do your job better because we're all marketers too. So yeah, I hear the same thing that you hear for sure and obviously experienced it from that seat. Um, what I would say is the starting point has to be that marketers have to wear the GM hat, yeah. the GM mindset. What is focus? How do you focus on the top company metrics, not marketing metrics? How do you focus on what the business needs, not what you need or what you're trying to accomplish? It's also how do you get wins quickly with the big influencers? It's building trust with the right people. I'll give you an example. When I was running digital marketing at Wells Fargo, predates my insurance job. 
um, the one of the th- I had centralized control over some parts, but only a little budget. <laughs> the education finance folks came and said, "Oh, well, we're not going to do any of the digital marketing. It's not going to work for our business." And I said, "How about this? How about I fund a small experiment?" And we funded some experiments specific about driving their top line revenue at, at efficient levels. We proved it out to such a point that they that we then got their money, their budget. Yeah. And then they, they tried to pour too much in. And I would then say, time out. We haven't proved it out enough for that. We're going to cap it here until we can prove it more. So that was about a third point, create demand. Remember the um, Harry Met Sally quote, I'll have what she's having, create demand. <laughs> okay. Okay, everybody. I want to touch on this point a little bit, which is, if you're in a place where marketing isn't known, your job isn't to convince everybody that marketing is the be-all, end-all, or a great thing. Your job is to show how marketing drives the measures that matter, which are almost always sales, profit, market share, and maybe retention, but sales and profit overall. It's not to convince everybody that the marketing measures are super important. And, yeah. and I think this is a this is a key takeaway, particularly in a place where you're trying to gain influences. Don't make everybody talk marketing, translate marketing into their language, which is almost always financial. How about this, Alan? If, if you're trying to get influence, I mean, you have coach 150 people and you're openly disrespected when you come in or someone is out to just dig a hole under you. What yeah. are they, what do you do there in that situation? Yeah. So um, it very much depends on who. There's some points I'll make that are always true and some that depend. So I'm going to give questions to consider first. What's the person's power and the reputation relative to yours? Are they intending disrespect? Maybe are they coming from a place of fear, which is different from intending? Yeah, very different. Right. Are others experiencing and noticing the disrespect is inappropriate? So those are all like core questions that could change my answer. But since we can't look at all the scenarios, I'll say, here's a few things I'd say always do. You're probably getting triggered. So this may sound woo-woo and it's not. Find your center before responding. If you're worked up, if you're feeling anger inside, you got to settle yourself. You cannot come from a place of anger, anxiety, fear, et cetera. Take the high road. Show up. With clarity, be candid and clear and while being calm, but take the high road. Separate the what from the how. Is there a point? Is there content in the message, but the, the way it was delivered or the deliverer sucked? Okay. Set learn see what is there to learn from? What's the what versus the how? And neither get angry nor shrink. Hold your power, hold your place. And one example of without embarrassing anybody publicly. Calmly pull them aside or in a separate moment, be really clear about how you received them and what's going to mean to work effectively with you. You've got to be clear about boundaries. And I know we're going to talk about that more later. We are. And and also, I'm 100% with you. If you can't win respect with an open field fight. um, No way. Don't do it. You want to win it with class and style so that people aren't picking sides. Yeah. Yeah. Let's t- let's let's flip this over. We you know one of the things we t- we teach at CMO Bootcamp is sales overnight, brand over time. Mm-hmm. 
especially now, given the devaluations of a ton of 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 the tech companies and other places, there is tremendous short-term pressure on on marketers to move everything into the sales overnight, not mm-hmm. so much brand over time. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how people deal with that. Like, what are you, what are you hearing and and how should they think about that? Yeah. So, well, first, um, I'll start with something that's not helpful in the context where you started, but I'm going to roll the tape back a little, which is you better be eyes open on the way in. Yeah. So before you take the job in the first place, so listeners are considering other roles or whenever the time comes that they will, because we all do, uh, or mostly all do. Um, sometimes lip service is paid to brand building. You'll see it on the job description listed as number five, right? That's probably lip service if it's listed as number five. Um, no, that probably we ripped off a job spec of another job. Right, right, exactly. So but, but be eyes open and don't read what you want to read, hear what you want to hear, really poke and prod in the upfront conversations. Okay. Um, so one is just what does it mean to manage that pressure? Because you talk about that short-term pressure can be so huge. And it's right. Get aligned on the expectations now versus later. If things shifted, okay, guess what? Back to your point of revenue and profit are still at the top of the list. But it's short-term and long-term. And sometimes we forget the long-term. So what does it mean to get aligned on expectations for now versus later? Where are you operating from a place of fear versus confidence? Like, if it's, oh, shit, this is going to go south on me, um, I'm in I'm in trouble, you're not going to make good decisions, you're not going to challenge. But you also can't just hold on to that high horse that we're going to be doing the brand building. Because um, you do need to build brand over time. But guess what? Keep eyes open about what the business yeah, needs right now. If the company goes out of business while you're doing that, it's not that helpful. 100%. So um, the other one is, and yeah, you know, I hope I'm allowed to curse on this show, but um, you are damn I, right you are. Yeah, and I already did, and I'm gonna go right here too, which is have a fuck it fund. Like if you're not prepared with, I got six months. Like I'm, if I if I'm screwed, if I'm out of a job next month, then I'm not gonna be able to show up the way I need to show up. Be prepared. And then last, I'll say is align on the expectations, contracting and recontracting with your boss all the time. So for when I was at Credible, for example, we were talking revenue high, you know, as number one. Well, then it was margin as number one. And then it was both as number one. They're like, whoa, 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 time out. Um, we but align it and dial it at different moments, because that's also the reality of the job you're in. I agree with that. I, I I will say with the by the best relationships I've had with my CEOs and CFOs, it's been like an airplane cockpit where you say, you want a little more revenue, you want a little more profit, that's great. Yes, of course, we all want 100% margin on everything we sell, but sometimes we can't get that. Let's decide what we want the most. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the boundaries discussion, and then, and then I want to pick up this fear thing, but but boundaries. Talk about boundaries and, and, and what you're hearing about boundaries. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing is so many people feel like they don't have boundaries. They... Yeah. And most people don't use the language of boundaries. You know, I use that a lot. Um, and it's people are saying, yeah, well, the boundaries, they laugh when I raise the question sometimes. And when so, you say boundaries, like the word I use there is yeah. decision, right, decision rights. But are you talking about a different thing or are you talking? Yeah, oh, that, good, good clarification. So um, it's multiple things. So it's boundaries on decision rights. It's boundaries on workload expectations. It's boundaries on always on or not. It's speed of response. It's how you're treated and how you treat others. 
Those are all examples of boundaries. So there's a quote I love uh, from Nadra Glover uh, Tawab, and it's first recognize that setting boundaries is not an act of disrespect. It's an act of self-respect. Such an important point of this is about not me being disrespectful to others. And some people think setting a boundary is I'm being disrespectful to somebody else. No, it's actually respecting yourself and requiring that they respect you too. So what you can do, for example, set expectations up front. Um, I'll give you an example. When in, in multiple of my roles, including the insurance role, probably where I did it first and most and then held on to it, I had on my whiteboard, the top right corner of my whiteboard was a little grid and it was a question mark. Did I leave at 5.15 today? Yeah. I, and I knew I couldn't do it all the time. And I worked evenings sometimes and I was traveled and all that. But I had this as a metric up front and I contracted with my boss, my peers and my direct reports. This is what I aim for. 50% of the time, I want checks. It's not going to happen all the time. It doesn't need to happen all the time. But I want to get home to dinner with wife and kids half the time. So that was just an example of setting expectations and contracting. And then when there's a tilt, respond with, you know, you you know, the term radical candor or what the author has changed the language to compassionate candor, which I like far better. Same exact concept, but that's showing up with humanity and clarity, both at the same time. If someone's pushing your boundaries, you need to challenge and be clear about it. Got it. Hey, we've talked about a bunch of fears. Yeah. I want to open the door here for the CMO fears that we haven't talked about yet. You know, that fear of being fired, fear of being irrelevant, whatever fears we haven't talked about yet. What yeah. are you behind closed doors that that are are is is sticking with you? Yeah. So um fear of not being enough or being good enough is way up that we did talk about that, obviously. Uh skill gap specifically, or fear of asking stupid questions. Fear of, you know, like, oh, well, the CFO has got more power than me. Maybe, probably, but maybe not. You get, you have an equal, you have an equal seat. Um, fear of rejection. This shows up all the time. And as I said earlier, there is no such thing as courage without fear. It's okay. We're all going to have fear or anxiety. And then show up with the courage. And in part, do you know what your values are? Are you clear about your values and are you living them? So if somebody's breaking a value you have, how you treat somebody else or whatever the values are, I do a lot of values work uh, with my clients. What's showing up? And let that be a North Star for you. Because the fear is going to be there and you got to show up and be who you are and be willing to push back, be willing to challenge. You're not going to be very good at your job, frankly. You can't be a great CMO if you're in fear of being fired or being irrelevant or, you know, whatever the concern might be. I I think this is a very important point, which is if you're running around trying to avoid fear, you're going to make a million mistakes because you will take the safest, dullest, Mm -hmm. most consensus building decisions and you will be a crappy CMO. Yeah. I I think the, the, the key point here is you're, the, the fear is goes with the big league job, put the fear away and play the best game you can. And then you can analyze the fear later, but or tap, I would, yeah. yeah, sorry, Mike, I would add tap the fear. You don't yeah. need to put it away. Tap it. You're like, okay, what's going on? What am I afraid of? And now how am I going to use that 
to be well, and also if you're going to do anything innovative it has risk with it if you move away from that because you're fair afraid of failing or afraid yeah. you're going to be punished for that you won't do any innovation uh to me as if i wasn't afraid of something we were doing that was an innovation my thing was it's probably not an innovation yeah I, I love that and i'll also say some people go the opposite way that they don't leave they're not recognizing or tapping fear enough if they're if you don't have any fear if you're very yeah, limited yeah, if you're listening and you're like well i don't know what these guys are talking about i never am fearful i don't have anxiety well then you're probably not paying attention to clues enough and you're maybe taking on way more risk than you should be so my yeah. clients go both ways on that one Wow, I'm fear blind. That's something I've never heard before. But all right, fear. Well, blind. no, I'll, let me. I'll give you a quick example. I referred to. I mentioned this one client, the SVP at the company that just did a riff. Yeah. Um, the the CEO and the executive team actually don't have enough fear, and they got ahead of their skis a bit. They know it now, and they would lean too far into growth. They lean too far into hiring and to too many innovations, and they it, the revenue wasn't there fast enough, and they had to pull back. That is a great example. That's also when people do riffs, they say, oh, the people will get over it we, just because we've done a riff every year for three years. They, they're they used to it. It's like, oh, yeah, God. like you ought to have some fear there. Hey, we're, we're kind of uh, running out of time. So we may have to have you back on the show uh, next year. I want to I want to give you uh, which is not that you know, not that far away. <laughs> oh, six uh, weeks from now. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Practical advice and or funniest story you can share with our listeners. You can take both of those or one of those, but you have to take at least one. So practical advice we haven't talked about or funniest story or both. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you both. Uh, two short stories. So, well, one's the story, one's the, the tool. So it's a, 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 the advice is there's a very simple tool. I call it the intention tool. I talk a lot about intentions, intentionality. Oh, before any big meeting or even small meeting, one-on-one -on -one or big group, ask yourself three questions. What's the outcome I want? How's the person or people going to feel? And how are they going to feel about me? And be crystal clear about all three intentions that you're going in with. And if you're and challenge yourself if you're really being honest about all three. Sometimes there's overlap. So that's the advice. The story. So when I was CMO at eSurance. One of the things we did, we had a big sponsorship with Major League Baseball, All-Star Game, All-Star Ballot, all that good stuff. So I was that guy in the suit. wasn't actually literally the suit, but I was the guy on the field handing out the All-Star trophies that one year. And I was giving them to Bryce Harper from the National League yeah. and Josh Donaldson from the American League. Well, we're just standing. The camera's getting ready. It's not quite our side. They're completely ignoring me, obviously. They could give a shit. But they're chatting with each other and... Josh Donaldson says to Bryce Harper, hey, good job, man. You won the you most votes in the National League. Of course, I got the most votes overall. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Bryce Harper says, yeah, fuck you, man. You had the whole state, the whole country of Canada voting for you with the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a great way to bring our show to an end. Thank you, Alan. And thanks, everyone, for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for our other shows on Evergreen, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, which include What Your Agency Wants to Tell You But Won't, Parts 1, 2, and 3. A look at fractional work, is it right for you? A content streamer's view of media, and a venture capitalist talks about artificial intelligence. 
Hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Laparta, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. 